we're going to turn to the word now, um, the seven I am statements of Jesus. So, so beautifully express the personality of Jesus, don't they? And today, David Nicholson will be sharing in that series. Today, I am the resurrection and the life. David Nicholson, give him a warm welcome. Oh, you got one already. Thank you. Okay. By yourself? Wow, look at that. That's okay. I'm not planning on crying, so I don't think I need that. Hmm. Now I jinxed myself. Thanks. All right. Oh, I can really feel the Holy Spirit from amazing worship. I just really appreciated that. I wish we could sing the Christmas songs all year. I just really value those, especially since there's a lot of them are like once a year songs. So thank you, worship team. That was amazing. Well, we get to talk about how Jesus went to the funeral of one of his close friends and completely ruined it. Bill Johnson said that Jesus has ruined every funeral he's ever been to, including his own. <laughs> but before we do that, I want to share these really important little stories with you. Oh, these aren't really stories. They're just, they're just dumb jokes, but we need to hear these. So instead of a swear jar, I have a negativity jar. Every time I have pessimistic thoughts, I put one dollar in. It's only half full. <laughs> Thank you. If you think your microwave and your TV spying on you is bad, your vacuum cleaner has been gathering dirt on you for years. <laughs> Someone should have grown for that. Yeah. My grandfather warned people that the Titanic was going to sink. He kept warning them and warning them, but nobody listened. And finally, they, they all got so sick of him that they just threw him right out of that movie theater. <laughs> a man took his eight-year-old girl to the office for Take Your Kid to Work Day. As they were walking around the office, she started crying and getting really cranky. And as his co-workers gathered around, he asked her, what's wrong with you today? And she said, Daddy, where are all the clowns that you said you worked with? I love that one. Okay, last one. This one is relevant to today's message. That's why I picked it. Apparently, this is a true story according to this church's website that I was on. It says, uh, the children's Sunday school classes were presenting their end-of-the-year program for the congregation, telling about the life of Jesus. When it came to the part about Jesus' miracles, one little boy said, yes, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And the teacher urged him to say a little more. He said, well... Jesus told them to open the tomb, and then he said, Lazarus, come out. And it's a good thing he didn't just say, come out, because there would have been a stampede of dead guys. <laughs> Very specific, Lazarus, come out. No one else. Okay, so we're going to start today. This is John 11, and the I am statement that goes with this passage is, I am the resurrection and the life, one of my favorite ones. So the context here is that, Jesus is close friends with three siblings, Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And he's just heard that Lazarus has fallen deathly ill. So John eleven three. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When, G when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. It says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed 
two more days where he was. I always crack a, I always crack a smile or even chuckle when in the King James and a lot of the other translations it says, Jesus loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. <laughs> like you would think that if he loved them, he would have gone right away and healed them. But just a funny wording there. Okay, verse 17, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out, out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the son of God, who was to come into the world. I think that statement cost her something because she was a little bit grieved that Jesus had stayed where he was two days. She was struggling with blaming him for her brother's death, but she still confesses truthfully her faith. I believe you are the son of God, the Messiah. But there is a lot going on here. I almost don't know where to begin with this passage. There's so much to talk about. Who noticed that Mary stayed where she was when, he heard, when she heard that Jesus was there? You know, this is the Mary who had sat at Jesus' feet, even when her sister was really ticked at her for not doing the work. She loved to be in the presence of Jesus, but now she stays away. So it's easy to imagine what was going on in her heart at that time as she grieved her brother's death. There's also Martha's opening greeting, if only you had been here. You know, people there were blaming Jesus. It wasn't just Mary and Martha. It, was, it tells us in verse 37, the whole crowd was asking, couldn't the man who had opened the eyes of the blind man have prevented this man from dying? So the atmosphere Jesus entered was one where everybody's kind of whispering about him and people are pretty ticked. And you might have also heard what, you might have noticed what Martha says to him, even now I know God will give you whatever you ask. She's confessing her faith in him and it sounds like she's ready for her brother to be resurrected. But what follows, if you really care, if you really carefully pay attention to everything Martha does after that, she doesn't really seem to expect it. First of all, when he tells her, your brother will rise again, she's like, yeah, I know he'll rise again at the resurrection. And then when she goes and tells her sister Mary, Jesus is asking for you, she doesn't say, and he said he's going to raise Lazarus from the dead. She just tells her, Jesus is asking for you. She doesn't seem that excited. And then later, we haven't got there yet, but when Jesus commands him to move the stone away from the tomb, she objects. Don't do that. She says, Lord, it's been four days. There will be a stench. So it's like she's confessing her faith and she's, she's fighting a faith battle, which we do, don't we? We confess our faith even when we're struggling with doubt. But you see that she's really struggling and she doesn't really expect a resurrection. So Jesus shows up in this environment of grief, of doubt, of blaming him. And he just completely turns everything on its head as only Jesus can do. He just destroys the whole scene in a good way. And I will take note real quick that I, this is one of the only miracles in the whole New Testament that I can think of where nobody was really believing for the miracle, and he did it anyway. Usually, someone has to ask. Someone has to believe for it. 
like the, the two blind men who were healed on the side of the road, if they hadn't asked, they wouldn't have been healed. They, had, they stopped the crowd, and they were shouting. Then Jesus went to them and healed them. Usually someone has to believe for it. In fact, it even says in certain places he could not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. But at the same time, he's God, and he can do whatever he wants. He wanted to do this miracle, and so he just stepped in and did it. He's awesome, isn't he? So, in this crazy atmosphere of grief, doubt, blaming, blaming Jesus, resentment, right? There's some resentment bubbling under the surface here. Jesus comes in and makes an astounding statement. I am the resurrection and the life. I am those things. It's not just something that's going to happen. The resurrection is not just an event I'm planning on attending. I haven't seen this event, the resurrection, on Facebook, and I mark myself. I'll, I'll be there. That's not what he's, he's, I am. It's me. Louis XIV. Some of you may have heard of this guy. Known as the Sun King. Richest, most powerful, longest reigning king of France. And he's famous for saying one thing. He lived, he, he reigned for 60 years and he's only remembered for saying one thing because it's so arrogant. He said, I am the state. I love that quote. Actually in French, I'm going to try to say this right. L'état c'est moi. I can just imagine him bragging to his, one of his mistresses. L'état c'est moi. But it's probably what happened. He was French. You know, it's ridiculous. The sort of things people say when it were, they're just regular people. But Jesus can get away with saying, I am the resurrection. And it doesn't sound ridiculous, does it? Because it's who he is. And he's not saying it to brag. He's saying it because Martha needed to hear that. And we need to hear that. We need to know that it's not just something that's going to happen. It's him. Thank you, Lord. So what was he saying to Martha? Well, we know that one of the raging debates in Judaism at that time was whether there would even be a resurrection. The Sadducees, emphasis on sad, said, no, there will not be a resurrection. The Pharisees got something right. They said, yeah, there will be a resurrection. And then they proceeded to teach that you got resurrected by obeying the law perfectly. So they got that wrong. You can't obey the law perfectly. Go ahead and try. You won't be able to do it. So I was looking at this, and I was wondering, why do they not know that there would be a resurrection? They, they had the Bible. Well, they had the Old Testament. That was the Bible to them at that time. And I realized that the word resurrection doesn't appear in the Old Testament. It's actually not there. You can't find it. I, I Googled it. I looked in various concordances. I looked in three different concordances. And the, the word resurrection, or anastasis in the Greek, shows up 40 times in the Bible. But they're all in the New Testament. And so it's possible for you to read the Old Testament and not know that there's a resurrection. I think it's there for those who have eyes to see and those who read it with faith. There's a few um, hints. Elijah was bodily um, taken to heaven and Enoch. And David said in Psalm 23, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, Daniel chapter 12 verse 2 says, Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting content. So I don't know about you, that sounds pretty resurrection-y to me. But the Sadducees couldn't find it there, they didn't see it. And so many Jews didn't know that there is hope of a resurrection. But Mary believes this, and Martha believes this. She says, I know that there will be a resurrection at the last day. But um, Jesus wanted her to know that it's not just something that... Um, is impersonal or something that's abstract. And he wants us to know this is not something that's just abstract, something to think about in your far distant future. The reason he makes promises to us is why. 
He's trying to provoke and incite our hope because it's relevant to us right now. And so that's what he's doing here. He wants us to know that things are really good and they're really exciting. And I think that sounds pretty cliche. But if we walk through life feeling kind of bleh, then we're not paying attention to what Jesus was trying to communicate to us. He wants us to be really excited because all of us have stories that end really well and the end is just a beginning. And that has an impact on our current circumstances. So let's talk about this a little bit more. What is he saying to us? And what was he saying to Martha and Mary when he says, I am the resurrection? There's a few simple observations I can make. First and most simply, he's saying that we will have new bodies. Some of you are like, yes. <laughs> Your new body will be, will be better than the body you have now. Um, Philippians 3.21 says, Jesus, by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. He's going to give each of us a wonderful new body to live in. We won't be semi-transparent ghosts kind of floating around in space, mournfully playing a harp. And whatever you've seen on TV, that's not going to happen. Sorry to disappoint you if you were hoping for that. So some people say this world will seem like the dream. That world will seem so real when we're there. Now, creating a new body is the easy part. God can do that like that. In fact, he told uh, the Pharisees, one of his many impartations of wisdom to them that they didn't listen to or care about or believe, he said that God can raise children for Abraham out of stones, out of rocks, just like that. So creating the new body is the, is the easy part. The hard part, even for God, is transforming our fallen natures. It's hard. It was hard for him because it took his death on the cross and his resurrection three days later to restore us to the position we gave up through Adam and Eve when they chose to sin and through our <laughs> follow-up sins after that. And some people say, well, it was easy for him because he was God. I know the cross would be hard for a human, but it must have been easy for him because he was God and is God. However, you have to remember he was also fully man. He was also fully human. And if we think back to the Garden of Gethsemane, what he went through as the sins of the world began to be placed on him, what was his physical reaction? Sweating blood. That means you're going through something. And he even asked the Lord, let this cup pass from me. He didn't want it. He didn't want to go through that. It was very hard. But he, because he loves us that much. Say, he loves me that much. Good. Thank you, Lord. I remember way back to my 20s, this is about 40 or 50 years ago now, that, um, <laughs> golly, it is hot up here. All the worship team was complaining about how hot it was, and I was like, what are they talking about? It's really hot up here. Um, so 40 or, 40 or 50 years ago, in my 20s, and I don't know, maybe some of you identify with that. Don't ever let yourself get there. I didn't realize or admit to myself that I was choosing that. I think I was, I felt like it was just something that happened to me, but um, I, I had chosen it. So I went to this church. I don't even remember where this church was. It's been so long. This is a story rich with detail. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but I was at this church, and I was like, I want God to give me a message about how anxious I am about this money situation I'm in. And he did. It was awesome. This gentleman came forward during the service, and he said, I have a word from the Lord. For a few people here, you're worried about money. I was like, yes, here we go. This is, God's going to give me some kind of a cool message, probably about how he's going to give me money. And <laughs> the guy said, you've let yourself fall into deep worry. You've let yourself become extremely anxious. And God says, stop it. And I was like, oh, 
Whoops. God says that, do you really think that the God who did the hard thing, dying for you on the cross, is not going to do the easy thing providing for you? Do you really think that, he, that God would do that? And he said, it's like dying on the cross is like paying a million dollars for you. And do you really think he's not now going to give you the five dollars that it takes to provide for you? And at that point, I almost raised my hand and said, well, I was hoping for a little bit more than five dollars. <laughs> but it was a metaphor. So you understand that the God who did the hard thing for you is going to do the easy thing that, you're, that you need him to do. Don't let yourself fall into anxiety. Don't let yourself fall into, into worry. That's why he makes these promises to us, because he wants us to be full of sparkling hope. And he did. He did take care of me, by the way. That's the end of that story. And rich with detail, I don't remember how it worked out, but <laughs> I just remember realizing I needed to take responsibility for not letting myself uh, fall into anxiety. It was a choice I was making. Okay, well, that hard thing that Jesus went through, though, it was a doozy, wasn't it? It was a hard thing, and he, he went through it purely for his love for us. So why did he have to, why did he have to do that? Why did God the Father not let him have the cup pass from him? He couldn't. What, what was going on? Well, we know that from the moment Adam and Eve chose rebellion, we were doomed to death in the natural. It didn't work out that way. Don't worry. Don't get, don't get anxious. But that was how it could have worked out because that was the natural consequences of what they chose. So unless some divine intervention came down in an astounding way, there was no hope. Things were so bleak for us, it appears, I think this, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but it appears to me that Satan thought he'd won because he tempted everybody who was around Jesus to, ki to kill Jesus. I don't think he realized what Jesus was there for, which was to die, and he seemed to fall right into God's trap. So he seemed to think that he had won. And back in the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve took that bite, it did look like lights out for us. And as far as the enemy was concerned, the earth was now his. The enemy still tries to claim ownership of the earth, by the way, but he, he's lying at this point. Uh, humanity, humanity was now his. He'd won. And from that moment on, all of Adam and Eve's descendants, me and you, would have a fallen nature without Christ, so that all of us at certain times in our lives, knowing God's righteous command, deliberately chose to disobey. And often, for some people, for many, for most people, or all people, many times chose to disobey. So we racked up a debt we could never pay back. And we chose for ourselves in the natural an eternal separation from the goodness of God that the Bible calls hell. And Jesus talks about hell more than anyone else in the Bible. So what could save us from those terrible words spoken by the Father in his justice to the first two humans and to all of us, dust you are, to dust you will return? Well, thankfully, those weren't the last words God spoke on the subject. Other words were spoken about 2,000 years ago and to our hopeless situation. I am. I am the resurrection and the life. God sent his son to speak those words into our hopeless situation. And I think if, where's that Kleenex? I think if people at the time had known what Jesus was doing and what that statement really meant for us into the desperate situation that they were in, that everyone there should have stopped what they were doing and just worshipped him. Everyone at that funeral, in fact, the whole planet should have thrown a planet-wide party because Jesus was coming down into our bleak situation and saying, I am the solution to this unsolvable problem that you find yourselves in. He loves us that much.
So we've learned or been reminded resurrection means for us a new body and it means a paying off of an unpayable debt. Those two right there make it worth the whole thing since it costs us nothing anyway. But there's more. How would you like a transformed nature? It's pretty good, right? Some of you can think back to how your nature was before you met Jesus and you're already well on your way to your transformation. And some of us I've only just started in our transformation, but I'm not looking at anybody. <laughs> First John 3, 2, we know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This transformed nature is going to be amazing. We will have Christ's nature. I'm not sure we really realize how good that is. But when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they didn't quite have Christ's nature yet because they hadn't seen him yet. We will see him, and when we see him, we'll be like him. They were still capable of sin which we know they chose. So their nature wasn't fallen yet, but it was, it's interesting because they were still capable of choosing sin in their nature. The nature we will have when we see him, we won't even be capable of choosing sin. So it'll be Christ's nature, and that will be about the best gift that we'll have. Well, there's a lot of good things that's going to come from heaven. There's going to be some good food there. Yeah. I don't know why I went right to that. We will have good music. We will have a transformed nature, and it's going to be amazing. So this new nature is already being revealed in you right now if you've accepted Christ. I want to tell you a quick story. Chris Milam told me, and I, he gave me permission to share this, that before he met Jesus, he used to talk a certain way. And you can probably imagine the sort of words that he let come out of his mouth. And if you can't imagine that, just go on a walk down through West Medford and listen to the conversations you hear people having, and you'll pick up on some of the words. So he used to take a certain person's name in vain quite a bit, and he used to pick fights. He was a hothead. He would pick fights with other guys. He would get mad real easy. And then he met Jesus, and he didn't realize what that meant. He knew, he understood forgiveness. He understood hope for eternal life. But all of a sudden, he didn't want to talk like that anymore. And he kept trying to go back to that way of talking. And it was like it wouldn't come out. And he was like, what's going on here? And he kept expecting, why do I'm going to go back to this old way of talking, but it wouldn't happen. And then he realized he never wanted to pick a fight anymore. And if you know Chris now, you know you can go up to him and psh, 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 or whatever. I recommend you do that. He won't, he won't do anything. <laughs> He'll just smile and be nice. You know, once Jesus gets a hold of you and starts trans transforming your nature, he's relentless, isn't he? And he doesn't take no for an answer. So, Good stuff, though, isn't it? Your new nature. Well, it hasn't been fully revealed yet. And the work he's begun in you will be perfectly complete when you see him with your own eyes. It's going to be fun. Then we will all be perfectly like him. We won't be God. Don't, don't get any ideas. He, he's, we won't be all powerful, but we'll, we'll have Christ's nature. So that's good enough. And I think the joy we experience possessing the nature of Christ can't be put to words. It's something to hope for. And it's something that uh, we don't have to wait for, by the way. You can start your transformation process. You can boost it uh, right now. You can boost it right now. You can start the process and really get going on it. Uh, press into the word. Press into worship. Press into the presence. And the process really speeds up and gets out of control and gets crazy. And it's good. But... He'll be on in the driver's seat, so you got to don't try to keep control of it once the ball starts rolling. Okay.
a new body, payment of an unpayable debt, a transformed nature. These were all won for us, and they were seized, by the way. They were seized back from the enemy by the resurrection. It was an act of warfare. I feel like I'm missing something. Is there anything else? Doesn't it say something about eternal life in there, in the fine print? Yeah? Okay. And the price is right. Only believe. Let's look back at the text. John eleven twenty three. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Jesus is telling Martha about a miracle he's about to do in like 10 minutes. I always find that interesting. Why make a promise that she obviously is, de- is struggling to believe when he could just go do it? Just, you know, he could just go do this. He doesn't have to tell her he's going to do it, and then she has to fight this faith battle for the next 10 minutes, <laughs> and then he goes and does it. So why does he do this? You know, Jesus is always trying to provoke and incite our faith and our hope. That's why he gives us promises. The promises aren't just for his health. He doesn't need to give us promises. He's not doing it for his entertainment. He is giving you a promise to incite your faith and incite your hope. Because he knows that you need those things to really live. So we're supposed to dwell on his promises, savor them, ruminate over them. Like if you had put a a Werther's original caramel in your mouth and just kind of don't chew it, don't crunch that. It'll get stuck in your teeth. Just dwell on the promise. Savor it. And let it, let it wash over you. Our response to the promise of the resurrection should overwhelm all our cares and burdens because we know that each of our stories has a wonderful ending, which is just a beginning. Thank you, Jesus. You know, I want to make a kind of off, uh, like a rabbit trail point here about believing in, and uh, putting our faith and hope in him now. In this life, now, don't wait. You know, these days are precious. If you think about your whole eternity, and you have a whole eternity ahead of you, it's almost impossible to imagine that. There's not always going to be a time when you're putting your faith in him and putting your trust in him in the midst of a war. Uh, We have a short time in this life in which to experience battle. What is he talking about? You know, it's not going to last forever this time. A time is coming is not far off when the enemy of our souls is going to be bound hand and foot and thrown in the lake of fire. And when that happens, there will no longer be any opposition to your faith or your hope, and it will be effortless. Now you have opposition. And that's because we're in a war. He could have created us in heaven right away. But he didn't for for a very important reason, which is that he wants, he knows that we will value every moment and every time that we put our faith in him in the midst of opposition. For all eternity, that will be something that will be very precious to us. And it's building us into the person that he wants us to be. It's, it's, it's creating uh, spiritual muscles. It's like an athlete who works out all summer and then with that body goes in as a star athlete all through the school year. So right now is our time to press in in the midst of opposition and war because there's not going to be another time. Now is the time to do it. So just think about that. These are precious days. This is a a time that God was very deliberate about creating for us to become warriors. And and there's not going to be, it's not going to last forever. But that's good, right? (laughs) So let's continue with our story. Martha tells Mary 
Jesus is asking for her. So she quickly went to him. Verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The exact words of her sister. What she's saying to Jesus here. You say you love us, but you did nothing when we needed you. You valued whatever you were doing back there more than what we needed you for here. You claim to be the son of God, but you wronged us in your negligence. All that is built into what she's saying to him. And not so many words, but it's there emo- emotionally. She's feeling this very strongly. You know, she's hungry to be in his presence. When she hears from Martha, he's asking for you. She gets up quickly and goes. She still loves his presence, but she's hurt. And all she can do when she gets to his presence is fall at his feet and weep. And in the next chapter, she does that again, but this time it's an act of worship when she's anointing his feet. But this time it's an act of extreme grief. So Jesus, he knows that his delay was the will of the Father. He knows that God allowed all this in order to glorify himself and his son. If he had raised Lazarus up uh, after just one or two days, people would have said, well, he probably hadn't actually died. He was probably just in a coma. Or, you know, everybody knew that these siblings were close, personal friends of Jesus. Some people might have said this was a ruse. But by waiting four days, nobody doubted that he was dead. There was a smell. It was obvious that he was dead. And so no one could deny the miracle. So God knew what he was doing with this time sequence. And what we see here, Jesus knows that God was doing right. But does he take offense at the accusation in Mary and Martha's statements? He's right. They're wrong. They're wrong to, to say, what, what are you doing here? You, you, you should have been here. He was following God's will, but does he take offense? Does he look down at Mary as she weeps at his feet and say, don't get so hysterical? Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Verse 35, Jesus wept. I love that Jesus just felt her sorrow with her, just bore it with her. He could have said, he could have given her a little lecture about how God can't do wrong and about how this was God's plan and, and you shouldn't be mad at me, but he just bore the, the pain with her and showed his love for her. Just, he just wept, even though he knew he was going to raise him from the dead in like five minutes. It's a very beautiful thing. You know, it's a blow to our pride. It takes humility to accept, but it's true. When we have a grievance against God, we're wrong. <laughs> our feelings are a dangerous guide to our beliefs. When, when we feel this very strongly, we think, oh, it must be true. I feel this. But our feelings can be wrong, can't they? God does what he does and doesn't do what he doesn't do because he has full knowledge of the whole picture. Just like in this scene here, he knew what he was doing. So they had a grievance against him and they felt it. it their feelings were real, but they were wrong to be mad at him. And it, it does take humility because the devil tries to tempt us with that, doesn't he? Why were you, why did you delay? Jesus wept with Mary. Let's finish the story. Verse 38, Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. 
When he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. You know, the raising of the dead is a sign of, is the province of, of, of God. It's not something that anyone else has ever done. So this is a sign to everyone he's God. And this is the miracle that the Pharisees finally say, okay, we've got to take this guy out. This is, this is it. The raising of Lazarus from the dead is what inspired the series of events that led to his death and his resurrection and our salvation. Okay. I wasn't sure how I was going to end this message, but I, I want to um, just follow the guidance of the Spirit on this. So I, I want to start by saying, um, if anyone here believes that now is your day to put your faith in Jesus, now is your time to believe on the one who promises us resurrection, that don't delay any longer. Jesus is holding his hand out to you in love, and he wants you to choose him because he's chosen you. So I think we'll end this by just having everyone, uh, let's bow our heads and let's close our eyes. And if today is your day to say yes to Jesus, I want to make sure I don't miss it. So please look at me and give me a little wave. Yesterday, somebody passed on it, but then later they came up to my dad and said, actually, I want that. So they prayed to receive. Okay, I'm going to believe that everyone here has already gotten right with Jesus because I'm not seeing anyone waving at me. Thank you, Lord. So we're going to pray for this message of the resurrection and the hope and the excitement that he intends for us with these promises to infect our lives in a good way as we walk with him in coming days. So Jesus, for everyone here, thank you for the resurrection. Thank you for the hope of new bodies. Thank you, Jesus, for paying off our unpayable debt. And thank you for our new nature. And we pray that we will press into our new nature today. And I know, Lord, that what you want for us when you make these promises, is for sparkling hope to cover our every step. There will be a bounce in our feet and there will be a light in our eyes. We'll be excited to hop out of bed in the morning because we have amazing hope in you. And so I pray that amazing hope will infect the lives, the choices, the beliefs, the words of everyone here today from now on. In Jesus' name. stand up. Resurrection, Jesus' life is for now as well as for later, isn't it? His powers at work in us right now. I love that Miguel came up earlier for the service and said, I had a clear word in prayer last night that God wants to give hope to someone by the name of Annette. And uh, so I introduced him to Bob and Annette's of course Bob's wife and they have had a good prayer but if there's anybody else maybe Miguel you could come up here if there's anybody else with by the name of Annette God has a special um, blessing for you uh, Miguel's going to pray for you we have some of our other elders come up here anybody that from the healing rooms or any, any of our pastors come on up here right now and uh you know, there's a stirring of the waters here for healing and for breakthrough. There's resurrection power in, in this present moment that God wants to release. 
So as they're up here, if you'd come forward um, and have a prayer, maybe you want to do some business with God at the altar, you know, just seek him. It's a real moment in, in God. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I meant to say that too. So not forgetting you. Thought I forgot you, didn't you? Watching on channel 11 at 11. Watching on our YouTube channel. When David invited you to receive Christ, that was your moment. And uh, take it right now. Call on Jesus to save you. It's that simple. He's knocking on the door of your heart. Just open the door. He'll come in and have fellowship with you. And and uh, just say, Jesus, please save me. Please forgive my sins. Cause me to be born again. I turn from my old life. I turn to your new life. And then tell, it's so important that you tell someone. Tell someone this week. Some Christian friend you respect. And they will disciple you into ever-increasing levels of supernatural joy and peace and love. It's your destiny. Amen. So remember, my friends, after the service too, uh, after the prayer time, we're going to have uh, some time up here at the altar, but then Marty and friends will be releasing some anointed prophetic words that will be life-changing and so inspirational to us all. I want you to know, everybody, just come forward for prayer. We love you. God loves you. Don't ever forget that. And may these days of Christmas continue to rock your world with positivity because Jesus is the most positive person there ever will be. God bless you.